Defending Utah covers the stories others are just too often afraid to touch. They don't nibble around the edges when it comes to pointing out threats to our liberty. They're not afraid to name names and call out organizations. This is Defending Utah Radio, every Friday morning at 9 on KTALK 1640. Defending Utah. Think right and wrong, not right and left. Join Defending Utah, because if you're not already on a government watch list, you should be. We have a special guest on today, uh, James Corbett of the Corbett Report, and uh, coming to us from Japan. And uh, so this is a pre-recorded uh, broadcast, but we're, we're doing this so that James doesn't have to be up all night. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he is uh, uh, very well known for his uh, videos uh, revealing the truth about 9-11 and many other conspiracies uh, globally, uh, including the wars and the, uh, the elites and how they function. And um, he is a very good source for truth uh, if you're searching online. In fact, uh, one of the few YouTubers that's still left, um, uh, most of them have been completely censored off the internet. And uh, James, because of his original content, has managed to uh, survive a lot of that and for having his own website and maintaining it so well. Anyway, we're just privileged to have you on, James, and uh, uh, hopefully I did an okay job of, of presenting <laughs> your, your uh, you know, what you do, but uh, maybe- but you did more than okay, because you mentioned my website, which is something that a lot of people leave out. They always say, oh, go what? look him up on YouTube. No, don't look me up on YouTube, because it's getting harder <laughs> and harder to do so, and someday I am going to be censored off of there. Look me up at CorbettReport.com where I have everything backed up. You can get it from my servers. You can get That's it through fantastic. alternative media platforms. I have a lot of different ways to get the material, not just YouTube. In other words, you're forward-looking and you're, you know what's coming down the pike. Uh, we just did a show with Jeff C. on uh, media censorship. And uh, I, I think he's had, uh, I don't know, at least 10, 15 channels destroyed. And uh, I don't know how much content he's lost in the process, but uh, I'm glad you've been backing things up. Yeah. Well, I've been talking about this since I think 2008 or 2009. I remember there was something called uh, veracityvideo.com, yeah. I think it was at that time. That was this like, oh, you know, YouTube's get, getting censored and controlled. It's bought out by Google. And I was all on board with it. And I was backing things up there and trying to promote it. It actually got too big, I think, at a certain point, And they just didn't have the server space and the bandwidth to deal with it. So it went under. And that's the way that a lot of these alternative platforms have been going until recently, the last several years. And now we have WebTorrent technology and IPFS and other ideas for how to distribute this so that we actually can compete with a Google or something like that that has obviously billions of dollars to invest in infrastructure all around the world and serve out these videos. It's never going to be as convenient as yeah. YouTube, of course, that's the easiest and most convenient way to get information because you just click it, it works, you know, of course, they have this incredible investment behind yeah. it. Servers but, everywhere. Yeah, but convenience comes with a price and that price is freedom. And uh, if you care about the freedom, you're gonna have to take a little bit of inconvenience and maybe teach yourself a thing or two in order to try out some other platforms. It's not even that difficult. I mean, my website, there's a big player there that's, that's linking from my server. You just click the big play button. It shouldn't be that difficult, but people are just so ingrained in their habits of convenience. Yeah, it's true. And then speaking of tyranny and, uh, and freedom, uh, here in Utah, we've got the, probably the largest, I think it's the largest uh, data center um, in the world. The NSA spy center is located yeah. right here. We drive by it every day. In fact, there was a fire. I was just driving up north yeah. earlier. There was a fire off next to it. And I thought, oh, good, is it burning down? And 
touch luck. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, uh, yeah, I, actually, before we were recording, I said I knew nothing about Utah and I've never been there. But I did do an interview years ago about nullify the NSA um, with um, Michael Meharry of uh, the Tenth Amendment Center. And he was talking oh, about fantastic. Yeah, he was talking about the NSA center there and how people uh, the uh, the movement to try to get the, uh, stop the water supply to the to the NSA data center and what have you, so they couldn't cool it, so they wouldn't be able to run it. That That's kind of right. thing. Great yeah. idea. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work yet, but you know, it's a way to start. Working on it, and just for our listeners as well, just kind of more an introduction. Um, one of your videos uh, beyond just the kind of covering things that the real news that isn't talked about. You also do a lot of really good history videos. I loved your World War One history series. Um, and that was something we actually passed out to, to all the defending Utah members. And I spread it out to my influence because that was just, it's important. Some people, sometimes you forget that understanding history helps you understand what's going on today. And so that was a really, really good video, yeah. and a really important video. And, and that's exactly why I made that. Um, it was 2014 that I started thinking I should do a World War One documentary because, you know, 100 years. And I was thinking about the different parallels and there's just so many different things that that match up with what was going on 100 years ago and we didn't learn those lessons of 100 years ago so it ended up taking me four years to put that together and eventually get it out but i'm glad i did because I, I do think it is important and uh it's an important piece of history but on the censorship note guess guess what youtube did they age restricted parts one and two so you have to be signed in <laughs> and 18 years of age to watch my world war one documentary world war one wow. you, you must be of age we actually i've got a, a 16 and a now 18 year old and um, just last year, I made them watch that for their world history class. Yeah, uh, this is the this is the the nightmare scenario for certain people. Uh, Chris Hayes did a tweet uh, of MSNBC. He did a tweet uh, several months ago about imagine you're a high school student and you're assigned a project on the Federal Reserve and you type Federal Reserve into YouTube and you get this and he posts a screenshot <laughs> of my Federal Reserve uh, documentary. You're like, oh no, oh think of the poor children. Um, oh, it's so kind funny. of funny. But uh, as, he, as he said, at, the time, at that time, if you type Federal Reserve into YouTube, I think it was either number one or number two search result. And the next day after he made that tweet, you type Federal Reserve into YouTube, it's not there anymore. Um, I mean, and then I get people saying, well, if you type in Century of Enslavement, History of the Federal Reserve by James Corbett, it's right there. <laughs> that's not, that's not the point of this. The point is people are searching for Federal Reserve and trying to find information about that. I'd like them to see this information. Yeah, and of the, course, that's what they're going to clamp down on. The level of censorship is just off the charts. I mean, I, it used to be, and I, I did a lot of my waking up with YouTube. Um, and uh, of course, your 9-11 video was part of that. And uh, along with a lot of other content out there, and it just uh, within the last two years, it seems like now, if unless you're looking for CBS and NBC, uh, you've got to go elsewhere. In a sense, we were in the golden age from about 2005 to about 2015, 16, um, and I knew that at the time. As I was experiencing that, I'm I, I kept seeing how the the TV land, you know, the TV anchors and whatever would poo poo and dismiss the internet and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and I'm living this reality of seeing thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people starting to turn online for information. And I, you know, it's just so incredibly obvious to anyone but those trapped in their little beltway mindset or whatever that can't, that have blinkers on that can't understand. The dinosaur media is gone. It's done. Now, the, unfortunately, the eye of Sauron is on the internet and what's happening there. So now they know exactly how important this is, and that now we're starting to see the real crackdown. It's been there for a while, but I think it's really happening. Yeah, I 
Yeah, we got to pull those contact lens out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a new censorship um, I've been experiencing, uh, specifically with your channel on YouTube, is within the last, I think, probably two or three months now, uh, YouTube basically refuses to autoplay your channel. So every time I play something from your channel, now it goes to a TED Talk or like yeah. BBC. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that one's really, that one's new. new They're definitely, yeah. Part of the algorithmic change is uh, recommended videos. And they yeah. said they're not going to be recommending conspiracy theory videos. And I'm sure I'm in whatever, you know, backdoor kind of classification system they have. I'm in the conspiracy crackpot theory section, I'm sure. So I don't get recommended as much anymore. Uh, it occasionally happens. I was quite surprised. I saw my recent Secrets of Silicon Valley um, video being recommended to me on my phone. <laughs> and and sometimes, sometimes I'm signed in as me on my desktop and I still get my videos recommended to me. I'm like, what's the point of that algorithm? I don't even get that. But this was me signed out on a different device and I was getting it recommended to me. So I'm like, oh, well, that one broke through somehow. Yes. You know? The redundant department of redundancy <laughs> probably did it. Well, but yeah, it's definitely the, uh, the search. Um, search is getting more and more difficult. I actually did an experiment recently on a different device. I just typed in Corbett. You'd think that would be pretty straightforward. I mean, there are other Corbett's. There was some Tom Corbett, governor of Pennsylvania or something. There's some Corbett National Park in India. Yeah, who cares about that there guy? Some stuff, right? Yeah. But so I'd expect a bit of that. But it was like, literally, you got Corbett Report Channel and Corbett Report Extras Channel. But all of the video content, it was all either people interviewing me or reposting my stuff. None of the videos were from my channel. So again, they're, they're doing this. It's, it's starting. Well, and I have to say, if, if we ever get the chance to create our own news network, um, I'm putting, well, my nomination is for you to run it. Uh, I, you, when it comes to... I don't need another thing on my plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and hopefully, hopefully it can generate some money so you don't have to like, uh, just do this for fun. But, uh, but that's, I don't know, I, I consider you somewhat of a, of a prophet in the, in the media world of conspiracies and seeing what's coming and being able to tell what uh what's on the horizon but um it's the robots the rise <laughs> of them <laughs> but but i guess i guess a, qu a good question for you uh james is how do you filter um and find your sources how do you find information what what sparks your interest and gets you uh going with with the topics of the day are you like an are you an archive searcher you know like uh, ben has spent probably thousands yeah. of hours at lot at uh very expansive libraries in person i just yeah what, what, what is your not no you, not enough not enough i'd like well, to you be can never do enough but <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> well yeah i mean again there's nothing in the world i wouldn't want to know more about if i could just download it from the matrix or whatever but yeah. uh yeah uh no i don't do a lot of like archive and document deep dives or at least not nearly enough or as much as i should I do, I, I, my role essentially, I'm not the gumshoe investigative reporter that's digging skeletons out of closets. I am more of the guy that's kind of taking stuff that is out there and consolidating it and trying to piece it together in a way that'll make sense to people and tell a story so that they understand the information that's important. So I'm always trying to give, I mean, that's one of the reasons I always point back to source documents. Like, look, this is where this comes from. This is what you should be Right. looking into and concentrating on don't take my word for it you know look like at a lot of focus on the fundamentals it seems like you're you're very good at taking the fundamental principles and then applying it to what's happening today and yeah well uh, okay so i think essentially i'm an academic that's not in academia 
Um, I got out of it, thankfully. I was on that track and I got my master's degree in Anglo-Irish literature in Dublin. And I could have gone down that path and I would not have been a stellar academic by any means, but I could have made a career out of it, I'm sure. But I didn't, God, I could not think of anything more horrible than the idea of doing like seven years on some PhD thesis on some extremely tiny little topic. And, you know, you know, everything in the world about stories written about cyborgs in the 1940s or something or whatever it is, like some ridiculous piece of automatons back then. Uh, Oh, you know your stuff. Yeah, very good. Yeah, no, I because I I say that because one of my TAs in one of my classes was doing a thesis on robots and automatons in literature in the 1930s. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Corbett. You're right, you're right. There you go. So I, that's kind of anathema to me and who I am. And I I never wanted to go down that road. So I, I, I never wanted to go down this road. I never thought I would be doing this kind of work. Um, But it just kind of happened. I I was getting all this information. I'm like, well, I got to get it out somehow. So what I do essentially is what I was doing back in my academic days is writing essays. I mean, essentially, that's what I'm doing. Now they're in the form of podcasts or videos or, or articles, but they're essentially like essays. And you just take you, you understand this from a certain perspective. So you, you take this piece of information, this piece of information, and go, hey, look, those pieces fit together. And look, this makes a story. And that's essentially what I do. So I'm not, I would like to be the guy sitting there in the archives and digging out documents that no one's ever seen. But I tend to be more the guy that's synthesizing stuff that other people have researched. And that so, comes through something like the World War I conspiracy, where, I mean, you want to give props, give it to uh, uh, Dr. Dean McGregor, who wrote uh, Hidden History of World War I. I mean, that's incredible awesome research that they did. It's extremely thoroughly documented, several hundred pages, actually put the, their two books together. It's over a thousand pages. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And then a guy like me comes along and takes and synthesizes that information into a sort of watchable, you know, 90 minute documentary. And, yeah. and which is millions very- of people watch my documentary and, you know, maybe thousands of people read the book. It's kind of a travesty that way, but th- this is my role. This is what I do. But I think along those lines, something that we get asked a lot is, um, how do you know who to trust? Who do you go to for trustworthy news? And, you know, because you're, you're talking about synthesizing, but that means you've got to load, you got to, you got to filter through a whole lot of garbage before you get something that you can synthesize. And yeah. so what, what are some of the tools that you use either mentally speaking or otherwise to be able to filter through the garbage and, and narrow it down? Like, cause I, I how many books are there on world war one where most of them are just propaganda to promote, you know, the, the the globalist agenda. Yeah, it's yeah, a good point. Um, yeah, because as uh, I did a, a follow-up, a Q&A about World War One after I released the documentary where I went through a bunch of the books that I consulted. And yeah, I mean, like Hidden History of World War One or Lord Milner's Second War or those types of books. But then you have the very mainstreamy books, the Barbara Tuckmans and what have you, that, ugh, you know, just repeating propaganda. And how do you, how do you discern the difference? Well, uh, I, there are many ways that I can avoid this question. One of which is to say that any... Any, any criteria that I give you for how to decide, you know, what is good or bad information is something that you could be using yourself. And you should be using, for example, on me. Well, why would I trust what James is saying? So, I mean, I, we have to have that critical thinking layer on for everything. There is no, okay, you can trust this, but you can't trust this. That, I wish, I wish it was that simple, but unfortunately it isn't. And even in the mainstream propaganda stuff, there is true information. You have to be able to sort out, okay, this is true and verifiable and this, you know, but, oh, it's leaving out this part of the puzzle, which actually may, helps it make sense or something like that. So there's many different ways to approach this. I try not, I mean, there are, are very, very, very few sources that I would say, 
I'm not sure there's anything I would say I 100% trust in every sense. And there are very few that I would say I don't listen to a single thing they ever say because they're always wrong. There's generally some admixture of truth and lies and everything. So you have to cast your net widely enough, but you also have to be grounded in a sense that you know what is going to be at least what the bias or agenda of any given source is, because that's another point I've made many times. I have a podcast episode on it about uh, the myth of journalistic objectivity. Uh, of course, any journalist wants you to think that they're sitting there floating on a cloud and I have no bias. I'm just presenting this side and this side and letting you decide, which is nonsense because there's no story in the world worth reporting on that has a this side and this side and that's it. No, there's always many different perspectives and who you leave out is as important as who you are presenting to your audience in many different ways the bias sneaks in. I have my own biases and agendas and where the perspective I'm coming from and my own beliefs and ideologies. And to, to pretend that doesn't have some effect on my work or the, the way it's presented is, is nonsense. Right. So you have to understand, oh, James, James is an anarchist, you know, he's, he's not Republican or Democrat or left or right or that kind of thing. So he's going to come from that perspective. And when you have that filter in place, then you can go, okay, so he's saying this and you know, oh, but he's leaving out this, or, you know, he's a shill for whatever. But as long as you understand the, the perspectives that people have, then you can at least start to understand where their information is coming from and what other, what other types of ways you can explore to see, oh, is there something over here? Is there something over here? Um, that's a lot of critical thinking. And I realize, A, not everyone has the ability to do that, but B, not, not everyone has the time to do that. Yeah. That's why it's so much easier to say, just trust this source, you know, just go to this website and you got to just go to Corbett report and you'll know everything there is to know about the world. Cause I'll just say on my short list, that's the Corbett reports at the top. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the sentiment behind it, but look, from my perspective, I get dozens, dozens and dozens of tips and emails every day. You should look at this. You should interview this guy. You should look over here, look at this story. Oh, don't talk to that guy or whatever. I get all sorts of feedback like that every day. And some of it I'm sure is valid. I'm sure there are many different things. Oh yeah, that's, that's an incredible story. I should be looking into it, but I can't, I physically cannot do it all. So, I mean, yeah, I hope that the information I present is as as true as I can make it, as, as straightforward as I can make it, I try to be as honest and, and open as possible with my sources and what's happening and what I'm presenting. But even so, even if I was absolutely perfect, and, and you know what, I do make mistakes, I am human, but even if I was absolutely perfect, I still can only present so much as I can present. And I'm, just, I'm literally a guy here in my living room in Japan. I mean, I, I do not have the resources to report on everything that's going on in the world. So you have to you have well, at least you're not fight. like the uh, Snopes where you're a guy and his hooker in the basement. So, <laughs> yeah. Fair, true enough. Or the Syrian well, Observatory on Human Rights, which is a guy in a... Or you're like Wikipedia, you're a guy living in your mom's house in your basement. You're in a living room, so it's respectable. There's my living room, no, it's not my parents. There you go. There's not hookers like just off screen. <laughs> uh, let me check. Uh, no, they're they're hiding away. There's there's a guitar. Okay, good. All the people that can't see it, I just confirmed. No hookers. James Corbett has no hookers. No, no. I do have my daughter out there somewhere. Okay, good. And it's a good thing you're wearing headphones and we're talking about hookers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I plan ahead. That's right. Keep it. I'm keeping it under wraps. So, uh, so James, if if you had to characterize where we are and where we are going as a society, maybe, maybe, and I'm also curious about America versus the world. Like, how is it different out there? Um, where would you put us? And then how do we win? I guess that's the, 
I'm curious about your feedback on that. What's the question again? America versus the world and how do we win? Where are we? Where are we going? Okay. You had to do a big picture summary of what's well, happening yeah. in terms of the conspiracy. My big picture summary, yeah, my big picture summary doesn't resolve around the nation state structure that we are handed because I think that is a construct that is used as a, as a tool in and of itself to get certain people thinking in certain directions. As an example, I will point people back to my World War I conspiracy documentary where, of course, everyone in all sides of that conflict are motivated by king and country or whatever the equivalent was at that time, that they're doing it for this reason, that they're being presented by their leaders, misleaders, psychopathic rulers, whatever. Um, and this is, this is what's happening. When in reality, of course, there's several layers above that uh, in terms of manipulating both sides of the conflict and, and all of that. And I think that plays out time and time again throughout history. I think it is playing out today. So that, for example, it's the United States versus China in this trade war, and maybe it'll become a military war. But as I've talked about in my podcast at some length and many times, I think this is a manipulated conflict too between people who are collaborating on both sides of that US-China divide and have been for decades laying the groundwork for China to become an economic competitor of the United States. Why would they do that, James? Is it, I mean, is it David Rockefeller and people like that? Aren't they good true blue Americans that want America to win America first? No, they don't care at all about the United States of America. They do not subscribe. People at that level of this reality do not subscribe to the nation state system. They do not feel any more affinity to you than they do to a you know, transnational elite on some other side of the border. I mean, obviously they, they care more about their transnational elite friends than they do about average guys in Utah or whatever. Uh, that's how this, this game works. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't something to do with nationality and, and, and your culture and who you are and all of that. That's important. But I am saying that this is used as constructs to pit people against each other uh, for always for the benefit of people that are several rungs up the ladder that are doing things that most people have no idea about. Well, like even, even Cecil Rhodes was talking about, you know, uh, how he wanted hegemony for... Uh, for uh, British, you know, the British Empire, but uh, but maybe that was just what he said publicly. Well, no, I think there was I think there was a genuineness to that um, that ideology, but of course that brings with it so many different uh, smuggles in so many different assumptions about, for example, I mean, what is the place of a, a Canada or an India or a South Africa or whatever it is in that system, and how do they? And so what place do they have in that? And then there's also the question of America, which at a certain point in the development of that Cecil Rhodes Roundtable, they had to uh, admit was one of the rising powers at that time in the turn of the 20th century. So Cecil Rhodes started talking about, we need a, we need a parliament of the English speaking peoples. It'll, be, it'll meet in Washington for five years and then it'll meet in London for five years kind of thing. And how will we merge these into some sort of supranational ruling oligarch of the, the world kind of thing and there, so there was I think there was a genuous to that I think that he really did aspire to that but I, of course again it's not for the benefit of the average you know coal miner in Newcastle my my family roots go back to Newcastle and you know the coal miners there I, I, obviously they weren't going to benefit from this glorious British empire that Cecil Rose was constructing it was for you know his business associates like the Rothschilds and you know, the international bankers and the people who really run the system. And that's, that's what it's about. But yeah, he did, I think he really did adhere to those beliefs, but it's the question of what, what do those beliefs contain? And uh, 
you know, newsflash, it doesn't contain, oh, I, I love each and every one of you because you happen yeah, to they're the <laughs> inter- <laughs> geographical re- region as me or they're something. They're the inner party members and they're going to they're gonna win no matter what. That's their Yeah. But, but people do, it is an effective propaganda construct because then people can be rallied around to support the people who don't give two cents worth about them. I don't care about you, but, but hey, we're all on the same team, right? Because look, I'll wrap myself in the flag and therefore you have to support what I'm doing. That's an important aspect I think people forget about is yes, they're trying to build a global government, but I don't know if you've, if you've read this issue of foreign affairs, this is from the, um, was it uh, March, April of this year, foreign affairs talking about the new nationalism. And it's all about how they're, they have to promote this nationalism and how, you know, that, that they are using that to be able to pit people against each other. Yeah. Interesting. I will have to read that. I'll read that because I wrote an article a few years ago for the International Forecaster called How to Really Defeat Globalism. It was part of a series I was writing, talking about North American Union and things like that. And, and the problem, the danger of globalism, global government, and why it should be opposed. But then... Uh, my point is that, yeah, so it seems like, okay, we got to go against globalism, so we got to be nationalists. Right, right. My point is saying, no, 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 you don't understand the, the broader perspective here. Globalism is kind of this ideology that everyone can be put in this incredibly broad collective and we'll all be lumped in together and we'll all worship the, the United Nations or whatever it is, and sing, sing our allegiance to God Emperor Obama or whoever gets appointed, right? <laughs> yeah, nonsense, and, and it should be laughed at. But... What is the real alternative to that? Oh, okay, so no, we won't have this global collective. We'll have a national collective. And yeah, it won't be the UN flag. It'll be the US flag. And everyone will pledge their allegiance to whoever happens to be residing in the Oval Office. And yeah. that, that will be the way. Well, it's, it's the same game. Re, uh, nationalism is a stepping stone on the stage towards regionalism. It's a stepping stone on the way towards they're globalism. Playing, they're playing risk with us, basically. Uh, that's one of the perspectives. And, and you get this most uh, most vividly when you go back to the roots of the nation state ideology in the nationalist system when you start looking at people like Johann Gottfeicht in in Prussia at that time back in the 18th century people like that that were starting to write about okay we need to start inf- uh, inculcating this idea of the nation state and the fatherland and how do we do this well we've got to start indoctrinating the children so we're going to have to have a national education system so that we can do this this is why the prussian education system became the model that was transported to america it was the model for the system that's used in japan because it fosters this collective idea and oh we all have to do everything for the nation state and give ourselves over to that it's just And then once people have really internalized that and subsumed it, so now, okay, I'm following this flag or I'm following this, 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 this entity, this puppet thing, whatever it is, then they just switch it out. U.S. flag, U.N. flag. Hey, yeah. You know, it's, it's just a mental barrier, a stepping stone towards the next part of this. And I think that's the insidious part of it. The real answer to globalism isn't another form of collectivism. It's individualism. And that's the, that's the part that's neglected and, and won't even be talked about as a potential for, how to really combat what's going on. And so that's the other question is, yeah, combating what's going on. How do we have success and what constitutes success? I mean, how do we know that we're winning even in our little microcosm in our, in our neighborhoods or more than that? Well, I know this is an answer that isn't going to satisfy everyone because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not tangible. You can't reach out and touch it. Um, the easy way is to say, oh, you know, next time that you, you get a, an election, just go and vote harder and vote the right person in and then everything will be better. Uh, nonsense, of course. But then what is the real alternative? 
I think something that I, I keep going back to time and time and time and time and time again in my work is that there is incredible amounts of money and uh, intellectual machinery and, and, and resources put towards propagandizing the public in various ways. In fact, I have a weekly video series I do propaganda watch where every week we examine some ridiculous piece of propaganda and show how, how it's working and why it's working and, and, and you know, how can we take this apart and can we use it for good and whatever, blah, 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 all these different psychological techniques and the ways they try to manipulate your mind. But the fundamental point of that is they wouldn't be spending all of this time and money and resources and energy trying to propagandize the public if the public's perception and the public's beliefs and the public's understanding of the world wasn't important. It is important what's going on between your ears. That is the ultimate important thing. The information war, the, the, the battle for people's minds is the most important thing that is going on because clearly the people still have the power. It is still billions of people who more or less are regular people trying to get by, don't want to start wars and kill people and aren't crazy, just trying to get by. But there's a little bit of this, this parasitic entity on top that puppets and, and steers so many of them because they can control their mind. And it's the old adage, no one is more enslaved than those who believe, falsely believe that they are free. Well, that requires so much propaganda and there's so much energy spent on lying to the public and trying to skew their perceptions and get them to be on board with the war on terror, whatever that means. We're against Al-Qaeda this week, but wait, Al-Qaeda's are friends in Syria, so okay, we're on board with Al-Qaeda now. I mean, whatever it takes, uh, you know, they could do whatever mental flips yeah. that they, they need to. Uh, so the real solution then, the real thing that we have to do is the revolution of the mind, is yeah. to get people to understand, to see and understand this alternative perspective and to realize that the, the, the kind of battle, the political battles that are presented to us are false dialogues. They're false dialectics between one controlled position and another controlled position. And no matter what way that smashes out, it's going to be bad. It's going to go in the direction that the people who want to take control of the situation is. There are completely other directions we could go. An example of that is like the internet censorship. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, YouTube and Facebook and all these are cracking down on whoever this week, right-wingers, left-wingers, whatever, who cares? Well, then the answer is government regulation. And there you go, now we're gonna have a good system. No, 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 no. What about the other idea? We don't have to use YouTube and Facebook and all these platforms. It is not, no one has the gun to your head to m make these into the in monopolies that they so desire to be. The government coming in and regulating it will make them into monopolies. But no, yeah. we have the choice. We can pursue alternatives and it may be harder and we may, but if we understand why we need alternatives and why we need to support them and why our participation in the process is important, then we can actually make a difference. But it all comes back down to that why. And if yeah. we can really show the why to people, we can yeah. have a, a market difference and an impact. And that's, again, that's exactly why they are trying to clamp, clamp down on the internet and the free flow of information on it because they know this is making a difference we are having an effect it's like we have to teach them the, what the motives are of these people and we have to teach people to think critically so that they can for themselves discern you know it assuming assume when you watch the media assume they're out to to uh, deceive you what would be jump into their shoes what yeah. would you do if you're really clever 
How yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's one of the basic things, forms of media literacy that we should all be learning. Just, just take the adversarial position when you're being presented an argument. Okay, so they're saying this. So what are they not telling me? Who are they not talking to? What are they not talking about? Right. What, what about the information they're presenting? Has that been manipulated? What source is it coming from? All of these basic things you have to do whenever you're encountering any source. And that goes back to the fundamental question, what sources do I trust or what do I don't trust? Again, that, that's an individual case-by-case -case basis. And even mixed in with lies, there's usually truth. And how can you sort those two, those things out? Just basic points about this is what's important. And again, as I say, not everyone has the ability or the time to go through that process with all the information they're encountering. And hey, I mean, I'm not on a high horse. Me too. Uh, if I'm not mechanically inclined, if something's wrong with my car, I'm going to have to take it to a mechanic. And I might take it to a second mechanic to get a second opinion, but at any rate, I, at some point, I'm going to have to trust that this guy isn't trying to screw me over. Somebody's got it. So, but, so we all have to delegate some of our authority at certain times to different people, and we all have to have some sort of system in place for, uh, you know, how much can I trust this, and is this guy trying to screw me over? And You know, sometimes you might get screwed over, but at any rate, you put that into your engine and calculate that again, so next time, hopefully, you'll be better prepared. Um, these are the types of things we all have to be doing constantly all the time, and it is work. This is the thing that no one wants to hear. This is why it's not a satisfying answer. Right. There is no basic, easy switch. Flip it, and now, okay, now you trust, you trust this or that. No, you have to work constantly. It is an uphill battle, and most people aren't, aren't going to do that if there is an easy, convenient way for them to go, which so is one reason why we should be building easy and convenient alternatives. I mean, there's no reason why BitTorrent or whatever has to be so complicated that the average person can't use it. We have to take some of those basic design features that YouTube and whatever else are so good at doing and try to build them into the alternatives. And that, that's for everything else. I mean, the alternative currency systems and whatever else we come up with has to be, there has to be easy on ramps for people because that's just human nature. So this is one of the things I think leading up to that is um, what I like about what your program does is it doesn't focus on you. You try to ignore, it seems like what the mainstream media is talking about because Usually what the mainstream media is talking about is, is propaganda and designed to get you to not look at what really should be looked at. And so what's interesting is there's something that the media was ignoring that just happened to become mainstream news now, like um, connected to the Pizzagate and the Epstein and all the sex trafficking. They were ignoring it, calling it, poo-pooing it, saying it was a conspiracy theory. But now it's mainstream news. They've arrested them and now it's a big deal. Why do you think they made that shift? What, what, what's going on there, do you think? Excellent question, and it remains to be seen because it remains to be seen how this plays out. Hey, look, I'm not one of these mega QAnon guys. <laughs> I don't get, I'm not into that. I just don't believe it. But we like you. Hey, if it were true, you know, I I wouldn't be totally happy with it because I still don't want to trust the intelligent, the good guys in the intelligence agency. <laughs> Even if some sort of aspect of this were true and they really are, you know, don't worry, they got a secret plan and they're going to crack down on all this. Well, hey, you know, good. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop that process. I mean, if that's the way it plays it's out, great. Stupid and it's not realistic, but if it is happening, then great. Yeah, sure. Exactly. I'm not holding my breath. Let's put it that way. But you never know. And sometimes these people do get scapegoated and sometimes there are different factions and when they fight, the, you know, the, the knives might come out and who knows, but there is some interesting things may be revealed. That's why we have to watch very carefully the development of the story and we'll see if Epstein commits suicide in jail or whatever it is. I mean, who knows, but some interesting things are going to happen. In the, in the jail. In the jail. <laughs> well, that, that's something that we just came across recently uh, going back to 9-11, uh, before 9-11, the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, the, uh, we, there's a, a lawyer 
uh, here in Salt Lake, whose brother was yeah. thought to have been, you know, John Doe number two. And he was, you know, he suicided himself in, in prison and they found the real John Doe number two. He died in the exact same way. And so we've recently got um, uh, the actual statements and uh, affidavits from Terry Nichols. And so going through that, that data, but the same type of thing can happen. I forgot about that. That's another thing I know about Utah because I have interviewed Jesse Trinidad before about his brother. I have the Nichols declaration up on my site. So yeah, I've talked about this before. Well, he, he gave us the transcript of his uh, interview with that guy in jail that apparently nobody has had. Yep. And the judge tried to keep, uh, keep him from talking to anyone. Uh, this is the only thing that's ever come out from it. Yeah, pretty, pretty amazing, incredible story. Again, if you presented this to people who were not being cognitive dissonance and had not built up mental barriers around it, just in and of itself, it's a crazy story, an incredible story that deserves attention. But for some reason, it doesn't get attention. Yeah, I was, I was, I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see it on Lou Rockwell's, um, he did a number on it on a podcast. That's how I found about, out about it years ago. So before we let you go, I know we're running out of time on our side as well. Um, something else we want to let you know about Utah that, that uh, maybe you haven't known before is um, we know about Skull and Bones at Yale. But what uh, I think most people don't realize is there's a, a second Skull and Bones chapter that we recently discovered and it's at the University of Utah. I had no idea about that. And there's been a lot of major players, political leaders, of course. It was started by a Yale alumni in 1919, came out to Utah and started at the university here. Mm. And so we've been able to find a lot Is of it. Is it called Skull and Bones? It's called Skull and Bones, yeah. Okay. Interesting, because I know there are a lot of those types of things all around the U.S. Uh, university yeah. system. Uh, True Stream Media had a great video up about that about a year or two ago. I can't remember the name of it, something about secret societies. And they went through all these different secret societies at many different universities all around um, the, the U.S. I, I don't know if this, that Utah Skull and Bones was in there, but if not, I'd definitely like to check it out. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> so have we. We haven't been able to find too much about it, but mm. have we? We can try to, to find their tomb. Their tomb <laughs> so we can go and spray paint it. <laughs> that, that was 1919, you said? Correct, yeah. And do you, do you know the name of the alien that came out and started it? I, I haven't been able to find out who that was. I've just gotten some of the documents written by the people, by the Skull and Bones people here in Utah. And they haven't, at least that I've found, they, they didn't name them. They just said mm. Skull and Bones alumni from Yale came out and started it. It probably wasn't Prescott, but it might have been. Huh. Doubt it was a Bush. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to ask, yeah. um, I know every once in a while you do make mention of natural law in your show. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I just wanted to hear you talk about it for a couple of minutes of, uh, of if you prescribe to it, uh, uh, how you do it, uh, what is your, uh, you know, in my, my study of natural law is uh, really a, a religious one. And I was just curious what your study of natural law, what its perspective comes from. And if you just tell me that a little bit. Right. Well, my caveat would be that I haven't done a lot of legal scholarship research or anything. So I don't have a well-formed philosophy or well-informed history of it. But it seems to me quite apparent that the, our conception of law as being something that is gaveled down by a judge or something that is legislated, even worse, legislated, uh, you know, let's write a law and now it is the law. That there's something fundamentally so jarringly wrong about that, that we have so internalized that we don't even think about it. It's like, oh, they passed a new law today and now it's illegal to do this. Really? 
well, why? Like, does something change in the universe? Now, it, you know, the moral fabric of the universe has changed? No, of course not. Now it's just, the, you know, this group of people have decided for the rest of the So it seems to me there has to be something more at base. And it, uh, the obvious thing to say is, well, uh, there, is an, there is some form of natural law. And, you know, I don't care what religious belief you subscribe to or don't subscribe to. We all, as human beings, we, we, we know this intuitively, uh, unless you're psychopathic. Perhaps it is really different if you don't perceive a moral element to the universe. I mean, there is some sort of moral fabric or dimension or whatever it is that I think we are attuned to. To go out and to aggressively kill someone, to steal the resources or whatever, we all, we all know that is wrong. Again, unless you're a psychopath. So um, that, that is in tune with natural law, whatever that is and wherever it comes from. Um, but, you know whatever they passed in, you know, whatever new bylaw they passed in, you know, Salt Lake City, City Council yesterday. Is that in tune with natural law? No, of course not. It's something to do with, <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have any value. Of course, in any community, in any society, you're going to have to decide on boundaries and, and different things and negotiating different situations. And so I, I understand common law and how it develops over time because, oh, okay, well, we understand in this community that if you do this, then there's this consequence. I get that, and that makes sense to me, but it still has to boil down to something, and there has to be some underlying basis. To just south of Salt Lake recently, just a couple of weeks ago, this lady was charged with a misdemeanor for because her cat was lying on her lawn. And so, I mean, this kind of... But like you say, of course that doesn't go along with natural laws. And that's just stupid, um, but <laughs> it can also be insidious. It's like... You can be, you can be charged in numerous municipalities around the United States for trying to feed the homeless. What kind of, I mean, uh, that is, that, that, that infuriates me in every possible way, in every sense. How, who could presume to have the uh, authority to, to legislate against something like that? And why? It's, it's just mind boggling and it's disgusting. But, <laughs> but again, there are so many issues where they, they kind of, you can be bamboozled by the, the sort of legislative side of it or what some judge said or the Supreme Court ruled this. But when you boil it down to natural law, it makes no sense. Uh, because you played a D-sus-2 and a C-ad-9 and a G, that, and now if I take my fingers and I try to do that on my guitar, uh-oh, no. Because there is a copyright, and I have a copyright on that, so you can't use your fingers to make those magic sounds or make those <laughs> yeah. magic notes with your mouth hole. That's that's against the law. Yeah. What law? And what what possible way could that arise in a natural law system? It cannot. You cannot own ideas. That's right. one of those things where you look at it from that perspective. It takes on a whole different light than all this legislative nonsense that's piled up on top of it and that we've so, been indoctrinated into. So, James, you would be a subscriber then of the non-aggression principle. Uh, yes, yes, I would very heartily. So it's the only thing that makes moral sense to me. I don't. I mean, again, anyone who's trying to argue for anything else is just saying implicitly, "I agree that we can use violence to get what we want." You know, in this case, when it suits my purposes. I, I got I to. I got to tell you one thing. One thing, we, and then we got to go. One thing. One thing before I let you go. So, like last year, you guys on uh, New World Next Week talked about that nurse in Salt Lake City that got arrested for not basically yeah and uh yep. i just want to let you know my first response to that story was we made new world next week <laughs> <laughs> we're so proud that utah would do that <laughs> and when i heard hey. when I, that happened hey. i thought wouldn't it be wonderful if i could tell 
Corbett that ridiculous story. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am. Like in your land. True. But here's my counter question to you. So yeah. what's what what happened? What's the updates on that? Uh, basically, I guess a little hell went through and then nothing happened to her. She right? she won a uh, a settlement. She won a settlement. like six hundred grand or something. Oh. You know, so the state made a mess and uh, right. we paid right. for it. It's fa- it was fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the justice. Yeah. My favorite, yeah. Pretend legislation at its finest. <laughs> Just all around. James, we're really grateful to have uh, some of your time. Yeah, and uh, we, we're we going to give a hearty shout out to you on the radio uh, for your, your Patreon and your channel and uh, and your website. So uh, and we do play your segments randomly yeah, on the we do. radio sometimes. You've been on our radio show. Awesome. Awesome. We well, it's, that's what it's for. Keep spreading it. Thank you. Uh, CorbettReport.com. And you can find them also on YouTube uh, at Corbett Report. And, uh, but don't watch it there. Watch it at CorbettReport.com. Yeah, there you go. Or BitChute or wherever you say. <laughs> and find them on Patreon for yep. sure. So, so, hey, thanks again. Uh, appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care.